This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. morning it's wednesday september the 20th 2023 welcome to now with dave brown coming to you on ami tv i'm dave brown let's hit the horns and go Coming up on the show today, recovery efforts in Nova Scotia continue after Hurricane Lee. Community reporter Melinda Kazanavishus will reflect on her experience. How does time influence your investment strategy? Certified financial planner Ryan Chin explores how time is a major factor in building your portfolio. And life changes can be better or worse or sometimes in the middle. Either way, they come with stress. How can you better manage stress during times of transition? Anupala will share some tips. It's kind of interesting that Anu's picked that topic because a little bit earlier in the show, Emily Shavers is going to stop by and talk about how the new school year and moving to a new town has made it a little bit of a difficult transition. So a little connective tissue from segment to segment there in the second hour of the show. That's coming your way in about an hour and 10 minutes. But the show starts with the top story of the day. And all of these are from the world of economy. A lot of noise out there in the news today. A lot of nonsense rather than news. So let's focus on the facts this morning, shall we? Unifor has reached a tentative deal with Ford. 5,600 workers were in a strike position. Unifor National President Lana Payne knows that a resolute union allowed them to bargain. I think it was really critical to show, uh, obviously, the company how serious we were. And, uh, I mean, we were ready to go if we couldn't uh, get a deal that met the needs and demands and expectations of our members. And it was very clear uh, as we got close to midnight that uh, they understood that because they came forward with a significant offer. You know this, but union members still have to vote on the deal. A bit of reflection from yesterday's inflation data. As I told you, it came out just a few minutes before the show hit the air, so I didn't have time to dig into the jungle of numbers with my machete. But here are some notable numbers for you to consider. Month over month, gasoline prices rose 4.6%. That was one of the major drivers of the overall inflation number. Year over year, housing costs went up 6%. I really want you to think about that one. Housing costs, 6%, up 6% for housing costs. Now, you oftentimes will think about how interest rates affect homeowners and mortgages, but what about renters? The average rental cost in Canada is now $2,117 a month. I'll hit you with that one again. The average rental cost nationally is $2,117. Studios, one bedrooms, Calgary, Fredericton, Toronto, Vancouver, Montreal. You put all seven pairs. I do think that the rate of inflation for groceries will continue to decelerate. I'm just not sure if you're, you know, the average Canadian, the average household, you don't want 
prices to just stop rising. You want them to kind of come down a little bit from these very high levels. I'm not sure that's going to happen anytime soon, unfortunately. Andrew Grantham hit it right on the head there, talking about deceleration. Deceleration and prices going down are not the same thing. So even as some folks were doing fist bumps and victory laps yesterday, about a 6.5% year over year in the cost of food, Oh boy, that's uh, still a steep, steep increase. Looking south of the border, the U.S. Federal Reserve will announce its interest rate decision today. Daria Albinger has more. Inflation is improving, but not as quickly as the Federal Reserve would like. Still, many analysts expect the central bank's Open Markets Committee to announce today it's leaving interest rates unchanged. The latest consumer price and producer price indices both show increases month to month, but decreases year over year. The Fed could resume its increases as early as November. Year-over-year inflation in the United States sits at 3.7%. Okay, a lot of serious news and numbers for you there. Let's switch over to entertainment. One of my favorite entertainment stories of the year. The Polaris Music Prize has been awarded. Debbie Friday picked up the win for her album, Good Luck. The Polaris recognizes a Canadian album based on artistic merit. Here's the sound of Debbie Friday's song, So Hard to Tell. That that is flex for her. We always receive mention with the honor. I love the American concert. Long live Chico. Accessible Facebook on Tunes 20. Code that they respond. Leona writes in. I think that a dress code that makes sense is good, but one with unrealistic expectations is bad. At school, a dress code can help build personal pride. In an office environment, it can reinforce the company's mission goals in a positive way. In the end, having a dress code that helps build individual confidence is a good thing. A dress code that is merely created to infer status does none of those things and is bad for everyone involved. Sebastian writes in, firmly against for schools. I understand the need for it in certain professions, but they don't have any place in the education context. A few other folks uh, chimed in here. Taryn is in favor of the dress code for school. Christina says it depends on the setting, and Ron can't weigh in because he's never worn a dress. <laughs> Ron, you're always cracking those jokes at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook, at Accessible Media on Twitter. Today's Daily Poll all about making new friends. Emily Shavers will stop by in about an hour and talk about how the new school year at Mohawk College has proven to be a little bit difficult to make new friends. So hopefully I can talk to her in 60 minutes and offer some advice coming from you and a few of the other folks on the show here. So the question is simple. How do you make new friends? Through hobbies? Through work? through other friends, or through community groups at Accessible Media on Twitter, at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook. Amanda Shikarchi, you think there is a glaring omission from my options. Yes, Dave. So I would also say that social media would be a good place to make friends. A few weeks ago, I told you guys about that supposed Sean Mendes concert I was supposed to go to. Um, the friend that I was supposed to go to it with, I actually met through Twitter during quarantine and we bonded over music and that led to meeting in person. So, you know, obviously on social media, you have to be careful with who you talk to, but 
there is a chance if you find the right person to have gen like genuine friendships. But also, I would say I've met a bunch of people here at AMI who have definitely become really good friends over these past few months. Yeah, work is definitely as you get older a place where you do start developing some of these relationships and friendships. I'm uh, going for a drink with one of the folks in the control room tonight. Very much looking forward to it. Megan Gilmore, what about you? Where do you think people can make friends? How do you make new friends? Right. So I work from home. So, um, you know, my houseplants that I sometimes <laughs> remember to water uh, don't really do much in the way of friendships. Uh, so for me, it's often through other friends or through different forms of community groups. Um, yeah, a lot of like friend of a friend of a friend of a friend or type type things when you realize how many of your circles get uh, crisscross. And I think also for me, um, I've lived in two different provinces, one territory in Canada. Um, so sometimes that actually helps build friends. As for example, there's a gentleman who like, I've only talked to him once, but he recently moved to Ottawa and he's friends with some of my good friends in Whitehorse. Uh, like they were getting us in touch before he moved here. So sometimes when you've lived in different places, there can be a bit of building a, a network that way. So both of you have indicated there's sort of either the networking component here or social media. What about joining clubs or like joining teams or like really getting out there? I, Megan, I joined an ultimate Frisbee team in the summer of 2012 thinking, here we go. I'm going to make some friends outside of the media business in Ottawa and it's going to be fantastic. And that didn't really work because all of a sudden I found myself schlepping all over the city trying to get to ultimate Frisbee games that were played too late at night. Huh, and did you struggle with transportation getting there? Oh, very much so. Yeah, yeah, see, there we go. Back to my earlier comments in the week about how sometimes innovative transportation just means reliability. Um, yeah, I, I'm not a big club person because I like I feel limited in my club options, partly because I don't drive. So there's a whole other layer of how are you going to get somewhere? Do I want to ask a stranger for a ride? Well, not the first week or possibly the second week or sometimes ever. Um, and then like I can't play sports with flying projectiles or my ophthalmologist will be very angry with yep, me. Yep. So then in terms of athletic things, that gets tricky. So I like I now live in Ottawa. Um, for those who haven't been to this very beautiful city of Canada's capital, um, lots of outdoor things to do. Great for that. Super spread out. So I would love to go snowshoeing regularly because I don't have snowshoes yet of my own. But then there's this whole question of like, how am I going to get there? Um, all these types of things. And I know that there are like citywide social groups that will help me do that. But it's more like looking into it and suddenly realizing I'm going in with this added baggage. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Like I need your I, generosity. I need yeah. your kindness to be a part of your club. And oftentimes in life, people are happy to do it, but it still feels awkward asking for it. Like, you don't know me. I swear yeah. I'm good company. I'm really exactly. fun in the passenger seats. Right. Yeah, exactly. And I don't have the option to sit in the passenger seat when I don't want to talk, which is actually often. So I'm like, oh, right. Always have to be on time. Always have to be cheerful. I love your music. Your music is great. I hate their music, whatever. But like, I have to be right. You have to be a good passenger. <laughs> and sometimes that can get a little stressful. Uh, Amanda, you are an avid audiobook consumer. No, no book club for you. Nothing like this to make new friends as an adult. 
So I have participated in clubs over the years, whether it be through school or through CNIB. Um, I haven't participated in anything totally recently, but every time I do, it's always such a fun and rewarding experience. And it's nice to kind of be in a place where people share the same interests as you and connect that way. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's Megan and Amanda's take on this with a little bit of mine sprinkled into what do you think at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook, at Accessible Media on Twitter? How do you make new friends? You can also chime in via email, feedback at ami.ca, feedback at ami.ca, or pick up the phone, 1-866-509-4545. You know, there's also the option of, like, I'm a deeply unpopular, unpleasant person and you don't want to spend time with me. But I know you like spending time with me, and that's why you're staying right there. Coming up after the break, you know there are lots of things a company can do to build an inclusive culture. Part of that is building inclusive leadership. Denny Boudreaux will share some insight on that. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown. You don't need me to tell you about including more people with disabilities in the workplace. You know that's a good thing. I know that's a good thing. What you want is one thing. How to get there is another. Denis Boudreaux has some suggestions on what companies can do to build more inclusive leadership and cultures. Denis is the founder of Inclusive Communication. Hey, good morning, Denis. Nice to chat with you once again. Absolutely. Good morning. So, Denis, you are fresh back from a trip to Lebanon where you gave a keynote speech all about building more inclusive leadership in companies. What were your main takeaways that you wanted attendees to learn from your speech? Well, first of all, yes, I, I sure am back from, from that. It was an amazing experience. Uh, the, you know, the, the keynote presentation was about helping leaders out there, current leaders, but also future leaders, leaders who might not necessarily consider themselves leaders yet, but are the leaders of tomorrow to understand how they can have an impact in helping create a more inclusive works, uh, workplace um, or, or you know, more inclusive environment around them, wherever it's a, it's a workplace or a community or, or you know, a classroom setting or anything like that. The, uh, the conference was held at the American University of Beirut. So the, um, the attendance was a mix of uh, faculty staff and, and students and members of the, um, of the, um, I mean, the, the industry in general that are close to the, the university. And the goal was really to teach them about different concepts that are key to making sure that you are uh, going to create and foster this, this, uh, this inclusive workplace. You know, things like considering you know, be- a better understanding of disabilities as a starting point, for instance, demystifying and, and normalizing uh, diversity and disabilities in general, um, learning how to stop tiptoeing around words like disability or disabled or blind or this or that, so that people stop feeling awkward around those things. You know, talking about inclusive hiring practices, talking about inclusive communication in general, talking about disability etiquette, like uh, like so many different topics that were part of that conversation to just help them, you know, see what's possible 
and and hopefully plant a seed that will eventually grow. For for a lot of those folks, they're already playing uh, either leader or manager roles in their organizations or their their environments. So for them, it was about like, what are you currently doing, and what could you do more to foster that particular uh, you know outcome that you're looking for. And for students who don't see themselves as leaders yet, understand that you know you can become a leader by acting like one mm. and and wanting to um you know taking taking ownership of some of those responsibilities will be a will play a huge role in turning you into the leader that others uh will want to have them lead so so that that was roughly what the keynote was about yeah, Denis, i know you have a blog post with 15 key points so we would have been here all day if we went through them piece by piece but it's a really interesting one and that's a really cool opportunity to get to to speak to both young people and people who are already leaders especially at an, an institution like the american university in beirut is like a really really fantastic institution what kind of response did you get from the people who were in attendance amazing response really so, so beirut well lebanon in general is barely getting started when it comes to you know disability inclusion and and digital accessibility like all these concepts that we've been talking about for over 25 years here well some of us for over 25 years um <laughs> are very new over there um the university has started this this uh conference called able the able summit three years so this was the third year so this is as far back as they go in terms of really having an organized environment where where they're trying to foster this this interest around uh, around inclusion and accessibility uh in a more on a more official level and uh and people are just very very you know hungry for that kind of information a lot of them have been thinking about you know the disparities and and the inequalities that you know they experience in life their entire lives like like we do here but it's it, it's one of the very first times if not the first time where they're seeing that there's an actual effort to try and do something uh you know from a societal standpoint and uh so so they're very eager to learn they're very eager to, to hear about these things and, and you'll get new ideas so the yeah the the feedback and how the reception was was just amazing Denis, it wasn't just you being uh, the rock star over there. You also took part in a workshop. You did some learning of your own that was a little more focused in an area of expertise for you, which was digital inclusion. What did you take away from that workshop? The workshop was about, um, you know, again, you remember it's a faculty setting, a university setting. So it was about developing a role-based training for digital accessibility. So, uh, People over there are creating materials to train designers, developers, content creators, you know, quality assurance testers, uh, people who play a role in a cross-functional team in, in you know, web design or web development. So it was about looking at different resources out there to help people, inspire people to define training that would be based on specific roles so that, you know, if you're training, uh, say, a group of people, on accessibility and half of them are designers and you're spending you know the three quarters of your time talking about code you're not really getting to them because that's not what they do so the idea of having role-based training is that you only speak to things that are relevant to that particular audience so very specific things for designers very specific things for co co for coders or developers for instance and the strategies behind how you orchestrate all of this so that they feel compelled to want to do it so you know building a, build a business case around inclusion as you're going through their particular skill set and and trying to get them to see what it what what their their 
their role, what their their job could be if they integrated these concepts into what they're doing, like giving it this other level of meaning or meaningfulness um, besides just, you know, having a job, but having a job that actually helps other people and make other people's lives better as a result of what you're doing. Denis, it's got to be so cool to bring this work that you've been doing for a couple decades and even just envision it in a new context with new people. That's got to be really uh, energizing for you. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's it's a great experience altogether. I mean, the you know that one of the things that I love about the work that we do in in digital inclusion in general or digital accessibility is that you know we're making a difference in people's lives, and, and you know, arguably, it's frustrating on a daily daily basis because it never goes as quickly as we would want to. But when you stop and you look back how things were five years ago, ten years ago. You have to recognize that a lot of things have gone, have, have, you know, have improved. Some things don't, but a lot of things do. Mm. And feeling that somehow you contribute a little bit to that, you know, is is a is a reward onto itself. So yeah, there's there's certainly a lot of gratification that comes from it. Incremental progress is still progress, even if it's sometimes Absolutely. hard to notice in real time. Uh, Denis, you were out there doing important stuff. I don't mean to diminish this, but I want to have a little bit of fun. I want to know about Denis Boudreau, the guy who takes a business trip and some of his business trip <laughs> habits. I will tell you, I'm no stranger to the business trip. Before I became a studio rat again in late 2017, for the majority of that year, I spent 180 days in total on the road on business wow. trips. So I, I, I'm no stranger to the business business trip either. So I want to start literally from the starting point of the trip. How would you describe your packing habits? Light packer, heavy packer, somewhere in between? Oh, I'm, I'm very much of a light packer. Uh, I have one backpack, everything fits into it. I have these bags that you, know, you can, like they're kind of like Ziploc bags. So you put your clothes into them and then you push all the air out and everything is super compressed. Uh, I have a very specific way that I that I you know, roll up my clothes so that they don't get all um, uh, wrinkled, and uh, and everything is super super tight in my in my backpack. So I have one backpack. I can I, I can take a I have a forty liter backpack, so it's, it's a reasonable size, but it's not a huge backpack, and I can easily take seven days of clothing and and you know gear with me in in that thing. Oh so I gosh. never check a single thing at the airport. My very first experience with traveling was in 2006. And they lost my luggage. And I said, never again. And I never did. <laughs> Denis, you should do a blog post about that. You get wild clicks over on the website for that one in terms of how to pack like Denis Boudreau. Okay, what about the eating? What's your level of adventurous eating when you're somewhere new? Pretty adventurous, pretty adventurous. Um, sometimes a little bit too much for my own good. Uh, you know, Lebanon was one of those situations where on the second day, uh, a friend of mine said, you should stay away from, you know, the chicken and uh, the, um, like the, the mayo sauce that they have because their mayo sits on the counter right next to where the shawarma is. So, you know, the, the meats on, on that, that roller thing that we yeah, see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the mayo is sitting right next to the heat all day. So, you know, we're not used to that. Over there, they're used to that, so they have no issue with that. But over here, mayo is typically in the fridge and it's never really close to, to a heating source. So a little bit of a bug, um, like a stomach <laughs> bug as a result of that. Uh, so so sometimes a little bit too adventurous. <laughs> we live and we learn along the way. Uh, what about getting around a new city? Uh, walk, public transit, taxi? Oh, walk as much as possible. 
Oh yeah, definitely. Um, taxi if it's too if it's too far. Uh, if there's something like a light rail or a, a bus, I'll try to take that so that I can sort of take in the city a little bit. I, I love the idea of just being able to slowly get to where you need to go and you know take in the city, like take time to look around, look at the buildings, look at how things go, how how people behave in the city, basically. I, yeah. I love that. So I'll, I'll wake up more early than I should just so I can walk to a place and get there, you know, way enough in advance that I'm not all sweaty when I, when I get there, but I've had a chance to really sort of, you know, take it in as uh, so I can take it back with me basically. And yeah. remember some of that. I, I love that, right? You get to do things a little bit more at your own pace when you're on, when you're either on foot or making your, making your own arrangements like that. Yeah. I'm, I'm, a, I'm in possible. big time agreements on that one as well. Okay. Denny, here's where I get really intimate to wrap things up. Any interesting hotel habits? I'll typically do a full lap around my room after I check in. And I mean, like, open the closets, the cabinets, the drawers, everything to see if there may be some mysteries that I can find. Sometimes even a full lap around the hotel to see if there's any hidden treasures uh, in the nooks and crannies of the hallways. There rarely are. Denis, what about you? What are some of your hotel habits? So, <laughs> so the very first thing that I do when I get into a hotel room is I check the water pressure in the shower. Very first thing. <laughs> and if it's bad, you can be sure that I'm going to go and check what the policy is around cancellation. And I will move to a different hotel as quickly as I can. Wow. Wow. It's, it's absolutely, absolutely a breaking point. Like if, if the water pressure is not good, I'm not going to stay there. Um, before I even look at the bed, I look at the water pressure. I look at the Wi-Fi signal. If it's not good, I'm out of there as quickly as I can. And then once those two basic foundational needs are covered, then, you know, I'll look at the room a little bit more. <laughs> and and I tend to, like, I, I, I'm a little, little um, you know, precious in that sense. So um, I don't like the idea too much of, of living in a space where a bunch of other people have lived before me. So... I will tend to choose different areas that I'm going to use in that room and others I'm never even going to go into. So, you know, as an example, of course, I'll, I'll occupy the bed. I have no choice. Um, but, you know, the, the cover on top of the bed is the first thing that goes and, you know, never touch it again. And then, um, and then when it comes to, like, if they have a couple of couches or things like that, I will probably not even come close to them. I'll stick everything to this other side. So, yeah, I'm a little, a little special that way. Denis? I always appreciate your insight on the important matters, but I also like getting to know you a little bit here too. Thank you for this. And I'm glad the travels You're home welcome. were safe. Yeah, thank, thank you. <laughs> that's, Denis, that's Denis Boudreau, the founder of Inclusive Communication. Coming up after the break, how does time influence your own investment strategy? Certified financial planner Ryan Chin explores how time is a major factor in building up your portfolio especially in relation to some of those fees that institutions want to charge you with. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. What does it cost to save money? 
That seems like an odd question, doesn't it? There are fees that come along with investing. Some are big and some are small. There are a couple factors in how much fees influence how your dollars can grow, and one of them is time. Don't worry, I'm not going to drag you into my midlife crisis. Ryan Bradley Chin is a certified financial planner with Sun Life Financial. Ryan can give you some insight on fees in the financial world. Hey, good morning, Ryan. Good morning, Dave. And uh, speaking of that midlife crisis, uh, you know, I, I don't know if uh, you're probably not a Porsche or Lamborghini guy, but, uh, you know, maybe uh, fishing? I don't know. I, I'm still trying to figure. I turned 40 this year, Ryan. I'm still trying to figure out exactly how that's going to manifest in my midlife crisis. I'll, I'll get. I'll get back to you. I promise. I promise you. Sure. If it's a big ticket item, I will let you know about it. But Ryan, when it comes to the concept of time, where does that factor into building an investment portfolio? So, Dave, absolutely. It's it's a you know a cornerstone when considering any kind of investment. Um, time in the market we've all heard that versus timing the market um but time makes makes the 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 investment important because for example dave if you decided that you wanted to put some money in and you needed it in six months well we wouldn't typically invest that in anything very risky. We'd probably sit that in cash because if if you're going to need access to that money right away you don't want any volatility. Now, conversely, on the other side of that, if you said to me, you know, I don't need that money for 30 years. Well, there's lots of time. Um, and, 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 you know, relative to that time is understanding, do you need that money now? Or do you need it then? So going a little bit deeper in there, Ryan, what are some examples of some of those goals that are going to intersect with time? Yeah, so absolutely. I mean, we. I mean, there are specific accounts established for that. You know, you've got a registered retirement savings plan. That would be a retirement goal. Um, you've got a, a registered education savings plan. That's a student learning goal. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you've got your tax-free savings account. And that could be short-term goal required. Like, hey, I want to purchase uh, and, and install a pool in my home in the next three to five years. Or I want to go on a trip in the next eight, you know, three to eight months. Or I'd like to just, you know, put some money in this TFSA uh, for long-term, um, you know, have a little nest egg. Mm. Okay, Ryan, here's where things maybe get a little bit weird when I bring this back to the intro in regards to management fees. But how can time end up interacting with management or investment fees? Yeah, so the, the, the intersection between fees and time, again, will, will lead a lot to what type of portfolio you choose or what type of fund you choose or what type of stock or or basically the investment type um and i and i use the word type because investing 
it has a lot of uh, options. I mean, there are people who invest in mutual funds. There are people who invest in ETFs or exchange traded, uh, sorry, exchange traded funds. There are people who are stock investors. And then there are people who just want to put their money under their bed and uh, <laughs> not deal with it at all. <laughs> just put it in gold. Just give me gold coins like I'm Super Mario over here. That's and that's how, that's, that's, that's how I'm going to stack it. That's how I'm going to stack it up. Uh, so, Ryan, if you'll allow me, in that context, when you talk about those different types of investment vehicles, some of them are going to charge different kinds of percentages. Some are big, some are small, some are up front, some are on the back end, some are sort of nibbled away year over year. How, I, I, I want to make sure I'm phrasing this in like a really diplomatic way, but what's the back and forth on those fees? Because it's so easy in life to say, just pick the investment with the lower fee, but I'm sure, come on, it can't be that simple, right? So Dave, I'll throw this to you. You know, when you go to a restaurant, do you look at the the cheapest thing on the menu and say, I want to eat that? <laughs> I mean, sometimes I'm looking at those 10 cent wings and I'm making the plunge, but uh, no, I, I'm not always looking at the cheapest thing on the menu. And, and, and that is the same kind of thinking when we look at investments, because at the end of the day, you know, these fees um, are, some are embedded, some are trailing return fees, and some are upfront management expense costs. So with a management expense ratio, this is something very important, and everyone should be aware that with any investing, doesn't matter if it's with your group retirement or your individual uh, retirement. Uh, individual uh, portfolio, or if you're doing a self-directed uh, online portfolio, there is a management expense ratio. Now, the management expense ratio is broken into three parts. The management of the investment, so whether you're utilizing an individual uh, uh, a personal banker or, or individual advisor, um, and then the cost for the product. So uh, whether it be a mutual fund or an ETF, there's a fee that's associated there. And then the fee would be, uh, sorry, a third po the component would be the taxes and the administration right, and right. paperwork and things like that. So, there, so there's that. Now, to, specific to your question, you know, um, there, there are products out there that are a little more hands-free, not active management. They'll be a little bit cheaper than something with a little more active management where, you know, you're, you're kind of seeing those returns as you go look along and, uh, and yeah, they might be a little more pricey, um, but you get what you pay for. Okay, so so here's where I tip my hand a little bit, Ryan, because obviously I, I, I used to work in the industry. I know a little bit about this, and I try to stay tuned in as much as I can. I know this. You used the expression ETF, the exchange-traded fund, which became really popular in the last 10 years, last 10, 13 years, really became uh, quite popular in the investing scene. And as you point out, maybe that's one of those kinds of funds with a lower management fee, but it's a little bit more hands-off. They've built sort of a broad-based investment and they say we're not going to tinker with this too much versus the traditional mutual fund which is a little bit more actively managed in times of a market that maybe is a little more volatile or a little more unpredictable i don't mean to fall into this trap that you're always talking about about noise in the marketplace but how has the compare and contrast of those two vehicles maybe been changed in the last couple of years as at least conversations of volatility becoming more prominent yeah and i mean more recent than not i mean when we sit back and think about the last three years um 
uh, you know, there's been a tremendous amount of volatility. So with a exchange traded fund, it tracks a market index. So it's kind of like going on a roller coaster and, and you know, and just kind of holding on to the grab bar, but not having a seatbelt. So you've got to take the ride as it goes and just sort of balance along as that index um, tracks how the market swings, um, where, you know, you've got this uh, actively managed mutual fund. Now, by all means, there are some passively managed mutual funds mm. as well. So um, it, really important to understand and read the prospectus uh, always when investing. Um, but when we uh, look at sort of more actively managed mutual funds, yeah, costs are implied for sure, um, but you've got someone a little more hands-on moving money around within that fund, actively ensuring that, uh, you know, when one side goes down, the other side goes up, and you're going to ultimately level out your your potential return. And fees fees do play a big part in that. An ETF, uh, you're looking at very lower uh, low lower fees. Um, but again, you're going to ride that market. And anyone with a long time horizon and not looking to need to access that money uh, regularly, that could be a solution. Uh, if they need to access the money regularly. Well, then there are some other solutions. Ryan, thank you for always helping me put these pieces together. I know I'm always throwing weird puzzle pieces at you, and you do a great job of synthesizing them. Have a great day. Talk to you next time. Thanks again, Dave. That's Ryan Chin, Certified Financial Planner with Sun Life Financial. Coming up in 60 seconds, Megan Gilmore has the weather story of the day. But first, here is Canadian press reporter Karen Rebo with your Morning Business Minutes. Canada's main stock index fell 1.3% yesterday in a broad-based decline after the latest year-over-year -year inflation rate came in higher than expected at 4% for August. Toronto's TSX index lost 273 points to 20,218. New York's Dow Jones average dropped 106 points and the Nasdaq gave back 32. In Tokyo this morning, the Nikkei index lost 218 points and our dollar is trading overseas this morning at 74.38 cents you U.S. Asian shares are mostly lower this morning as markets await a decision by the U.S. Federal Reserve today on interest rates. Unifor announced last night it has reached a tentative deal with Ford Motor Company that could avert a strike by 5,600 Ford workers should members vote to ratify the deal. The proposed contract is one that Unifor National President Lana Payne believes members will support. Negotiations are expected to be a blueprint to use in upcoming contract talks with GM and Stellantis. From the Canadian Press Business Desk, I'm Karen Rebo. Thank you very much, Karen. From the world of money to the world of weather in the Maritimes. Megan Gilmore still keeping a very close eye on weather conditions in eastern Canada. Right. So earlier this week on the show, we were discussing how a lot of great damage from post-tropical storm Lee was avoided. It wasn't as bad as we thought it would be, but there's still going to be some rain and some winds working their way through the region and possibly more coming up this weekend. So rain continued in Quebec's Gaspé Peninsula and northern New Brunswick last night and into the early hours of this morning. And then the rains are expected throughout today 
and tomorrow. Some winds in the province will be up to 40 kilometers an hour today. Uh, Nova Scotia is expecting winds between 30 and 50 kilometers today, and rain is expected through parts of Nova Scotia today, tomorrow, and more on the weekend. Um, over in Newfoundland and Labrador, uh, they had winds gusting up to 70 kilometers this morning in certain regions, um, but those should subside as the day continues and the rest of the week should bring some sunny skies to Newfoundland and Labrador and the Maritimes as a whole. But again, there's still a storm system to watch out for this weekend. So just a lot to keep uh, our eye on there, uh, pardon the pun, and we'll hear more about what it's like on the ground in the next segment. Uh, Megan, you read my mind and you did the segue for me because coming up after the break, you'll hear about how the recovery efforts are going in Nova Scotia after Hurricane Lee or post-tropical storm Lee. Community reporter Melina Kazanavishis will share her experience. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. People in Nova Scotia and New Brunswick are picking up the pieces after Hurricane Lee, or what was post-tropical storm Lee. Halifax community reporter Melena Kazanavishus can reflect on her experience. Hey, good morning, Melena. Good morning, Dave. How are you? Melena, I'm doing well. So there's been a lot of news reporting about Hurricane Lee this week. In fact, uh, we've covered it pretty extensively. But what was the situation like for you? Um, well, post-tropical <laughs> Lee um, did not did not make landfall as a, as actually a hurricane on into uh, Yarmouth, South uh, Nova Scotia. It, it it was more of a tropical storm. But you know those tropical storms prior to even approaching or um, being on, on land can be just as destructive. So on my end, because I'm right on the peninsula, um, pretty close to the downtown core, um, oddly enough, we lost power probably to about 6,000 um, dwellings, we'll say, right? Um, for So I was out of power for about two and a half days a night, a whole night and a half. Um, and the counties and the areas that were expected to be hit the worst actually came out unscathed. So, you know, these things are never really fully predictable. Uh, air mass changes, winds change, and we're right on the ocean. So the ocean's the power, my yeah. friend. And <laughs> yeah, so... The, yeah, there's no doubt. Whether it's a whether it's a tropical storm, yeah. a hurricane, or a post-tropical storm, it yeah. can come with some pretty significant consequences. You mentioned life without power for a couple of days. What about any damage? Any damage to your property? Um, well, I'm a, I'm in an apartment building, so there in fact was no damage to to the apartment building. Um, th there was up and down um, my streets, you know, some trees that that had fallen down and. Uh, uh, on on Saturday night, so the storm arrived somewhere I'd say early Saturday morning. Uh, my power went out probably about four or five in the morning Saturday, um, so that was a whole day without power. And then and um, my 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 boyfriend and I decided to <laughs> adventure out at about seven o'clock in the evening, and um, just with white canes and and I had my guide dog Hope on a leash, 
so I wasn't putting her through the test. Um, and yeah, there were there were a significant amount of trees, maybe three or four, just up and down my street that had fallen. So that was a lot of fun crawling under and over uh, the, the big fallen trees. Um, you know, and and maybe we shouldn't have been out there, uh, but. I figured you got an aluminum cane with the rubber tip, so we wouldn't get electrocuted. That's <laughs> yeah, what? Adequ- I don't know. Adequately, adequately. Do not listen to this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, adequately grounded. Adequately grounded as you're yeah. doing your blind person parkour through some down trees. Yeah, makes makes that, a ton of right, sense. Yeah. <laughs> uh, M- Milena, w- what about the emergency preparedness side of this? Of this, what are some of the lessons that maybe uh, you've taken away? Uh, I know that it's been a pretty uh, weird summer. Slash, it's been a weird year, yeah. basically for 12 yeah. straight months for Atlantic Canada, but. What about some thoughts about emergency preparedness? Okay, so I I did I have included in the post um, the Halifax emergency alert. So if you sign up and there's a link that you, you know you can you can read off that that site there, um, Dave, if you won't mind after that. Um, so sign up for them and they will send you emergency and non-emergency warnings, whatever is happening uh, around the province and within the city, uh, via text, telephone. Um, um, or your computer, um, you know, you can also listen to the radio, but, you know, when the, when the power goes out, you can't listen to the radio. I've also included, and I know this is probably old news to a lot of people, but I think it's important to uh, folks who are, you know, newly blind or partially sighted. It is really, really crucial. I cannot stress in, in almost the 30 years I've lived in Nova Scotia, and I've been through a lot of hurricanes here where at one point I, I did not have power for almost 10 days. Um, to really prepare. And preparing is actually quite easy. It's a gathering of, you know, an emergency kit, um, making sure that you have water. They are recommending now two liters of water per day, per person, um, for at least a minimum of four days. Okay. But in Nova Scotia, you know, and I think this goes all across the country. In Nova Scotia, I think you better make it maybe five days, right? So make sure you have enough water, gather that wa- uh, bottled water so that everybody will have, you know, if you've got young babies and toddlers, make sure you have, you have di- uh, diapers and, and, you know, canned goods, a can opener that you use manually. Okay. <laughs> Learn yep. how to use one, yep. people. Right. Really important. Um, and prep, you know, so I, I will say my, my boyfriend was laughing at me Friday night. He's like, oh, you know, it's not going to be that bad. We've dealt with more. But I boiled my my hot water, poured it into the into the thermos. And and uh, lo and behold, Saturday morning, we had hot water for coffee. OK, so it's if you've got a thermos, if you don't have a thermos, ask for, for it for Christmas, your birthday, Valentine's Day. I don't care. Get a good thermos. It's, you know, when you're cranky and you need that hot cup of tea or hot cup of coffee or whatever that you need, um, if you're if you're that kind of person, it'll be there for you in the morning. Um, medicine, make sure you have all your medicine supplies. And a lot of the times, um, aside from the fact that the fires that we had this year, you know, came out of nowhere, uh, no warning, but hurricane season is September to end of October. So in Nova Scotia, and you're, we're warned way ahead of time so you know prep these things get them ready it doesn't take a lot of time have a metal box with all your passports birth certificates and things that you can grab in case you have to run if you have a sighted partner that drives you know it's things like make sure that the gas tank is filled Uh, these are important simple things so that you can get out quickly yeah. With all everything and everything that you need, and I and I know maybe this is just harping and old news and stories, but I I think it's a really good reminder. The other thing I like to say is, if you've got a pet, 
um, have your pet supplies, have pet food, you know, um, the food dishes. If you have a guide dog or a service dog, you know, make sure that all their stuff is right at the door that you're grabbing your kids or your partner and, and you're grabbing your, your animal with, with a small bag of food for them as well. Yeah, absolutely. You, you don't want to lose, lose those guys. So you gotta, you gotta, yeah, so, you gotta feed and drink the animal too. You can't just feed yeah. and drink yourselves. <laughs> no, no. Yeah, that's right. So, yeah. So those, both the links to um, the Halifax and HRM and Nova Scotia um, are, are there. Uh, the lists are accessible, you know, just how to prepare Prior and after, you know, obviously clear your balconies, your property. If you if you're a homeowner, um, you don't want things flying around and damaging other properties and stuff like that. And last but not least, for God's sakes, people in Nova Scotia, when they tell you to stay away from the water, please stay away from the water. Uh, not too long ago, we lost four people with the surges that came from rivers um, when, we, when we had our floods, and you know they're dead, they're gone. Um, uh, unfortunately. So stay away from the water during hurricane season because it's, like I said, the ocean's the power and you're not going to escape it. Yeah. I'll, I'll share the uh, Nova Scotia Alerts website here. I'm not going to do the emergency preparedness kit. The uh, the link yeah. is way too long, but novascotia.ca slash alerts, novascotia.ca slash alerts, and then the emergency kit. will put that checklist uh, up on the blog after the show, ami.ca slash now, ami.ca slash now. Okay, Milena, from emergency preparedness and big storms <laughs> to a positive travel experience while you were vacationing to my favorite province of British Columbia. You had a super positive experience on your flights. What happened? Oh, gosh. Okay. Am I allowed to say Air Canada? Of course. Well, if, <laughs> well, if it's positive, yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, um, particularly as a guide dog user, uh, handler, you know, I travel with my guide dog almost always. Um, now, sadly, yes, as a person who's blind or partially sighted, whether you're traveling with a human companion, or your guide dog, um, there is some, you know, preparedness you have to do ahead of time. Register with Air Canada's medical desk. They do require, you know, medical notes, doctors, et cetera, et cetera. But once you get through that, and I know, is it fair that we have to do this or not? I, you know, I, I don't know. But once you get through it, right, then, then pretty much it's, um, it's, it's pretty easy to get a discounted ticket, um, call the medical desk to arrange for your guide dog. Air Canada gave me a seat that was left open for me for Hope, my guide dog. Now she does not sit on the seat, people, for those who do not know, but she had the extra leg room there to, you know, stretch out and and um, and uh, sleep all the way through from Halifax to Calgary. And then uh, we drove in, into BC, uh, likewise on the way home. So I have to say um, the flight attendants were superb. Um, you know, they, they came by and checked on me and we pre-boarded and, and tickets and everything was arranged. My tickets home were changed, of no surprise. Uh, and I waited for a significant time uh, on the telephone to, you know, get a better flight out. And then I decided to call the Air Canada Medical Desk. And again, they did all the changing for me, lickety-split. I couldn't be more happier. It's probably, <laughs> I'm smiling for those who can't see, one of the first times that I can say thumbs up for Air Canada, really great support, um, really great, great staffing, and um, 
so on on their on their replies when they ask how did we do uh they pretty much got sevens eights and nines nice. all the way through yeah, yeah. Very, very good to have a little bit of positivity melinda there's always so mm-hmm. much negativity on air travel oftentimes for justifiable reasons but always yeah. great to hear about a positive story in the yeah. world of travel that fills the yeah. heart with joy speaking of filling the heart yeah. with joy uh give me your top highlight from your vacation in bc Oh my God! Okay, so we're, I was in the East Kootenays uh, in Vermeer and Fairmont Hot Springs. So uh, Hope, she was off leash uh, for the first time ever, um, and again she's my guide dog. And we went hiking uh, about three kilometers up into um, Natural Hot Springs, where there were three pools that were dug out. And and I've sent pictures along. Don't laugh at me, people. Uh, there's there's a picture of Hope and myself sitting in in a pool that's probably well, I'm five feet tall, so maybe up to mid thigh for me. And and it, you know, it was it was great to be hiking up. And and I do want to say something about about hiking. You know, those who, who like to hike. Uh, and I was with my best friend Lisa, who lives in BC. There are many ways to hike because um, uh, I think as people who are blind or partially sighted, there's no reason we can't do anything. I don't particularly like holding on to a cane or, or a rope or anything. So my version of hiking with my friends, because it was a very narrow path where your foot could slide, I, I held on to the back of the pants of my friend. And, uh, you know, you got to be good friends. So, <laughs> but um, but we managed to get up up that mountain and uh, splash around in, in the warm right in the warm water and uh, some tandem biking, some, you know, some good East Kootenai beer. Yum, there you yum. go. There you go. <laughs> yeah. No, it sounds like it sounds like it was delightful for the soul, Melena. Very yeah. revitalizing uh, to come home yeah. to a storm. Uh, Melena, thank you for this. Yeah. Have a great day. Thank you. You too, Dave. That is Melena Kazanavishus, Halifax community reporter. Some links for you to find in relation to that report, including the Air Canada Medical Desk phone number, can be found after the show on the blog, ami.ca slash now. In 60 seconds, Amanda Shikarchi will have the entertainment report. But first, the antitrust case against Google continues. Mike Dubusky has more in Tech Trends. Columbia law professor Tim Wu says a big part of the government's landmark antitrust case against Google is the company's deal with Apple to be the default search engine on iPhones. The allegation is that it made a bunch of deals with mainly with Apple to uh, prevent other search engines from getting a foothold and, and challenging it. That, the government alleges, was unfair to competitors like Bing and DuckDuckGo. But what's not allowed is to, to make a deal that locks other people out. And the allegation, at least, is that they uh, didn't compete on the merits that they spent their money to uh, create kind of a fortress that no other competitor could could reach anybody. But Google argues its dominance stems from the quality of its products, not from market manipulation. Google's going to say we've been successful because people like us. When given the choice, people always choose Google search. With Tech Trends, I'm Mike Dubusky, ABC News. Thank you very much, Mike. From technology to entertainment, Amanda Shikarchi, Dancing with the Stars is coming back. Thank you, Dave. Yes, it's really exciting. Dancing with the Stars, Dancing with the Stars will premiere on September 26 on at 8 p.m. on ABC and Disney Plus. There was some pushback pushback from the Writers Guild of America due to the ongoing actors and writers' strike to postpone the premiere. However, there are regulations to ensure that both the cast and crew won't be in a tough spot. Since one of the writers is from the Writers Guild, they will return to work after the strike as well. 
The videos that showcase the cast's work will not discuss their past TV or film projects. Some of the celebrities that will be competing this season are singer Jason Mraz, Allison Hannigan from How I Met Your Mother, former NHL running back, um, as well as um, Barry Williams from The Brady Bunch. So, Dave, what are your thoughts of the regulations on the show? They seem like a pretty bland compromise, Amanda, to kind of say, okay, we're still going to make this entertainment. We're just not going to have our writers, and they can come back when the strike is over. That doesn't really work for me. That kind of feels like, hey, we're going to scab the labor on you, but uh, you know, you're welcome to come back when the strike is over. I do understand the promotion side of things, You know, saying, hey, you can't promote your work. That's a huge part of where the actor's strike is at at this point, to not be... Pr- not be promoting big time studio work but i don't know amanda this strikes me as pretty bland pretty tame and it just seems like uh, the big studios by the way in this case abc slash disney are just looking to fill their airwaves with content at this point totally agree also the nfl running back that i was referring to was adrian peterson that'll be one of the celebrity um competitions but yeah i agree i feel though that it is a great way that you know we can still have a show that you know, people love and enjoy, but do it in a way that is compliant with the strike rules. So I'm glad that they were able to make that work in that capacity. For people who are looking for the entertainment, they will be very, very happy. I I don't know about the uh, pro-labor crowd, though. I think this seems like a little bit of a cheat, if you ask me. Amanda, thank you for this. Have a great day. Talk to you tomorrow. Thank you so much. Talk to you tomorrow. That is Amanda Shikarchi with the Entertainment Report. Coming up after the break, I've got the regional news updates. And Brock Richardson stops by for a sports chat. We'll say nice things about the Toronto Blue Jays and therefore jinx them and compromise the playoff spot they currently sit in. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. The Walrus is Canada's conversation, and you're invited to take part. Download AMI's Voices of the Walrus, where professional narrators read selected articles from the magazine. Available wherever you download your AMI podcasts.